Language Talk is a series of podcasts of interest to world language educators across the nation seeking information about issues relevant to teaching and learning of world languages. Each month, we'll be talking to educators, researchers, or advocates for world language learning. Language Talk is a partnership between the Kentucky World Language Association Board and the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Kentucky, designed to showcase the importance of global citizenship. Language Talk, KWLA. <laughs> this is your host, Laura Shea Youngworth, and we are at the 2018 KWLA Conference in Lexington, Kentucky, recording in front of a live audience. If we can get a sound check from the audience. <laughs> All right, we are packed. We are packed. Probably around 200 people in the room. We're super excited. To make this as participatory as possible, for you all. At your tables, there are some items, so please make sure you see these. Do you have a white card with a thumbs up? All right. This card is for you all to kind of signal to us while you're listening that you agree you're like, preach it, sister, something like that. I saw one of you hold it down. Fine. (laughs) Creative teachers. All right. Also, do you have a colored card, purple or blue, that has a question mark? This is for you all. We want to have live questions. So you have a sticky note block uh, at your table, and there's some KWLA pens. So if you have a question, jot your question down on a sticky note. When you're done, wave your card, and two of our wonderful board members, Sarah Meredith or Ben McMain, will come to you and grab your sticky note, make sure they understand it, and they're going to come up here and read your question for you. If you want your name involved, put your name. Don't put a fake name. Put your name if you want, but you don't have to. It can be an anonymous question from the crowd. So anytime you have a question or comment, feel free to do that so we can get your voice heard too. And finally, for those of you on Twitter, I was going to ask you to tweet me, but my phone is locked. So do tweet your thoughts using hashtag KWLA18, okay? So if you are live and have Wi-Fi and so on. Joining me today is a panel of wonderful guests, and I want to thank you all ahead of time for, you know, taking a dive with this. Um, Jackie didn't even get to see the questions, so she's on the fly here. So we're trying something new. First, we have our producer, Jean-Marie Rouillet-Willoughby, Professor of Russian Studies and Folklore and Chair of the Modern Classical Languages, Literatures, and Culture Department at UK, so University of Kentucky. We have Jackie Van Houten, Instructional Lead for Jefferson County Public Schools, same job, different title, in Louisville, Kentucky, and formal, former ACTFL president. We have Meredith White. Meredith, are you in Suwanee, Georgia? I am Suwanee. Suwanee, okay. So Meredith White, Spanish teacher extraordinaire in Suwanee, Georgia, SCULT board member, which is wonderful, and you're a blogger. Yep. Uh, what is it? Proficiency Path? Yeah, Path to Proficiency.com. Path to Proficiency.com, and of course, our KWLA featured presenter. And finally, we have an extra seat on the end, and that's going to be filled by somebody in the crowd. So, throughout, we're going to have three topics. We're going to have someone be chosen to come fill the seat each time and get to have a voice and have a little fun with us. So, we'll fill that in a couple minutes. Today's topics are going to be a little bit of a mix since we have a group that kind of gets to see things nationally quite often. And three of the things we're going to address are the necessful, actful, can-do statements, the global seal of biliteracy, and world language advocacy. So those are our three topics. 
With that in mind, that's all you know. You get no further information at this time. Is there someone in the crowd who wants to be a part of the Necessful Actful Can Do statement? You can sit there and just smile. You can chime in when you want. But if you're interested in coming on up here and filling our, our um, extra chair, please give a wave right now. There's so many hands up. Oh, my goodness. We do not know how to choose. It looks like Ben McMain has found somebody, and they're working their way up here. Thanks for everybody. We'll get an introduction in a second once she gets settled. So with that said, recent national changes to standards and guiding pedagogical documents can be traced back to probably 2015. And that's when the release of the reworked national standards. So if you still have up on your walls our standards, our 11 standards, and they predate 2015, you probably need to take a look at the new ones and get that changed. Also, our five C's were slightly adjusted in their explanation. These changes included an emphasis on what students can do with the language as well as including the national focus on 21st century skills and college and career readiness. Now, in 2017, the necessful actful can-do statements were released. Uh, taking directly from that document, it states the purpose of this document was to guide learners to identify and set goals, to help educators write learning targets that focus on communication and to help stakeholders to understand how well learners can communicate at each level. Now, if you've not seen this document, go to ACTFL, go under Publications, and it's there. It's free. So you can download it, read about it, get explanations, and so on. So we're going to have a little discussion about that. But I see we have someone joining us. And can you give us our, your name, what your role is, who you are? Hi, my name is Madeline Sexton. I'm a high school Spanish teacher currently teaching levels two and four in JCPS, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, yeah. Thank you, Madeline. You're online, aren't you? On I am online. Yeah. I'm on Twitter, on Twitter. pretty yeah. often. The uh, Twitter, yes. yes. Um, or follow at S-R-A-T-A-N-G-U-E-R-A, Senora Tanguera. That's the best plug I've ever heard. Good job. Okay, so we're going to get into the can-do statements. So the first question for our guest here, what impact do you think the necessful, actful can-do statements are having on more language education across our state or your state, Georgia, or across the nation? Just what impact are the necessful, actful can-do statements having? Well, um, I can start in... I, just in case you don't know, because a lot of people know ACTL, but they don't know NACESFL. <clears throat> NACESFL stands for the National Council of State Supervisors for Languages. So our state supervisor is Alfonso de Torres Nunez. Um, every, almost every state, probably about 30 to 35 states, have state supervisors. Um, and I used to be one, and it was great fun. Um, but those people are the people who sponsor the development of the can-do statements along with ACTL. So I have seen this go through states and districts and individuals taking the can-do statements. The biggest thing I see is it's empowering personalized learning with goal setting modeled by the teacher through the ICANN statements that are posted at the beginning of a class and then the follow-through to reach that goal of being able to do that whatever the goal was, the functional language goal, and then having students 
assess it at the end. So the students begin to see where they are and watch their progress. And then getting them through that modeling of setting goals to set their own goals so they'll be lifelong learners. That's, that's a huge impact, I think. I have to say I agree with you, Jackie. The um, impression that I got, and one of the things we are trying very hard to do with our um, core course for language majors at UK now is get them to realize their role in this process, right? We do not open your brain when you learn anything, but especially when you learn a language, and pour it in your head. You've got to take charge of it. You've got to use every possible resource at your disposal from the net to the local grocery stores to listening to movies and music online. Whatever it is, you're in charge of this. It's not us. And you have to scale what your goals are. And if they don't know yet what their goals are, we can help to lead them down that path. But I'd also have to say, it's very impressive to me um, as a linguist who's been fighting for years to get American Sign Language to count as a world language, to have every single standard applied to sign language. That is a major breakthrough. Um, one thing, uh, both of you kind of referenced it, best practices, and I don't know if you know everyone kind of follows this, it's to reference the learning target for that class three times, beginning, middle, end. You should be spiraling, reminding the students over and over. They're kids. They have an attention span of a gnat usually, right? So you have to remind them, why are we doing this? How does this feed into it? So kind of think about that. Um, if you know anything about John Hattie, that's on one of the lists he has for making an impact on student learning. But Meredith, do you do anything? I mean, what are your thoughts about the candy statements and the impact they're having? I know just on a personal level, I my lesson planning has improved, and I know that sounds maybe sounds silly, but I and I went through formal educational like undergraduate and then masters, and now I, I teach it, and and I it's really hard to teach someone how to create an effective objective because for several years mine were I can tell the difference between the preterite and the imperfect. You know, I mean to me that was an objective. I was like, oh, that's what they're doing, um, and until I started doing lesson planning and teaching with proficiency in mind. And going, okay, well, that's not a skill. I see what they're saying now. Um, and then the can-do statements, that's it. Those are your objectives. And for me, that makes that a little bit easier. I'm not having to, like, come up with something that makes administrators happy, but also students understand, and that I'm not creating 7-4 for each individual lesson. So to me, it just it streamlines what you should be teaching um, and brings it back to actual can-do statements, not, like, can-do skills, not can-memorize structures. That was big for me. I'd like to add something to that from, from a different classroom perspective. I have a very large department. Mm -hmm. And one thing that helps us, having multiple teachers teaching every level, is the amount of consistency that the can-do statements provide. Because there's not a huge amount of room for interpretation. It's very exactly. clear that a student can do this or can do that. And it, at the end of the day, every teacher can look at that and say, can my students do it? The students can look at that and say, can I do it? And no matter what teacher you had, no matter what level you had, no matter what school you're at, so long as those are being applied, the product is very consistent mm -hmm. as far as lesson planning from the teacher perspective as, and what students receive. Yeah. We've seen it reduce friction between levels as well. Mm -hmm. So they're not going, between the adults and the students, they're not going to level three as much saying, oh, we were supposed to learn this and she doesn't do grammar or whatever. It's like the can-do statements are the can-do statements. So you, you know, people can expect their students coming up able to be able to do things 
and it take, it's taken the focus away from what they know, because it's easy to say, oh, these kids don't know the preterite, but what can they do, and how do we get them there? It's, it's been nice to, to collaborate. So to, teaching about the language and giving them an opportunity to learn the language using the language, the functional language, and not learning about the language. Yeah. Right. Well, what support do our teachers need to really be able to implement the candy statements within their unit planning, their instruct their instructional practices, etc. Um, one of the things that at least my area is doing well is very strong professional learning communities. We're gonna stop for a second. Can you all hear in the back? Okay, because we can't hear ourselves. That's interesting. Okay, keep on going. Um, is is building really strong professional learning communities and making sure that teachers get that support from each other. Some teachers have very strong grasps on strategies for certain ICANN statements. Others might have strengths in, in other ICANN statements. And the ability to collaborate through uh, PLCs at your school and your district or PLNs like LangChat, anything like that is, is really giving teachers the support they need to help each other. And I think the help that they need, too, is in understanding still the proficiency scale. If teachers do not understand the proficiency scale, they're going to have a hard time setting learning targets and adjusting their instructional strategies to meet those targets. Um, also, I think there's still more to learn about interculturality. Uh, we have the new intercultural uh, standards for the new candy statements for intercultural communication. And they are a huge part of turning around, sort of flipping the way we look at curriculum. In our district, we have always started with ICANN statements at the top of our unit overview and then intercultural statements below. And we're working now to reverse that because you want to teach within a context. So you start with the ICANN statements and then you filter out those language can-dos that will help you achieve that. So it looks like we have a question from the crowd. Ben McMain, what is it? So this question comes from Marie Stevens in Scott County, and she wants to know if we will be updating the Kentucky World Language Standard to reflect the new can-do statements. Read it again. Totally not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> this question comes from Marie Stevens of Scott, Scott County. Um, will we be updating the Kentucky World Language Standard to reflect the new can-do statements. There is a rumor, and I'm staring at the person, who would be the source of all knowledge, that in the spring, hopefully, 2019, that we will be updating the standards. And there will be a committee pulled together through a process to be on that. It's not Alfonso just choosing people. It's it's a big process to be on the state committee. And they'll go through the same process that all other content areas have gone through. So there's consistency. So hopefully, yes, if that doesn't happen, we need to pound the pavement and make it happen. Because we do have can-do statements in the current standards. And if people are kind of questioning what to do, you can revert back to the national standards. The national standards are not just the five C's. Those are deconstructed. Yeah, in the can-do statements. So those can-do statements are part of your national standards now. So one thing, like I know for uh, training in Fayette, we went through, I hope this isn't illegal, uh, we printed and uh, made a book for teachers. So they have the national standard, the five, can, uh, the five C's listed there with the can-do statements. The one thing is you have to know your proficiency goal, your target. 
Otherwise, you're just like, oh, that looks good. You have to know, I'm after novice mid. For this group on this unit, that's my targeted level. That's step one. Then go into the can-do statements and read through the novice mid and all the modes and see if that's really what you meant. Do you need to go back down or up and what you're doing? And it'll give you wonderful examples that you're allowed to change. You don't take them stock, lock, and barrel. You can change them, but you get the feel for what's expected of you and for your students. Okay, with that said, if we don't mind, we're going to move on to the next question. All right, so thank you so much from coming from Jefferson and representing. We appreciate it. Thank you. So, Madeline is leaving us, and we're going to fill the chair. Uh, our next topic, again, you don't need to know much about it. You just need to have a thought. Uh, global seal of biliteracy. Global seal of biliteracy. So if you might want to come up and sit in the hot seat with us and uh, participate. Again, you would not believe. I wish the listeners could see all the hands raised. <laughs> and uh, they're trying really hard to choose somebody, so Sarah and Ben are going to work on that. Uh, we might get a voluntold on this one. Okay, so we're moving on to global syllabi literacy. The syllabi literacy is becoming a pretty common term, and more and more states, districts, and schools are either adopting or beginning to explore the potential of this form of recognition for graduating students who are not just bilingual, but biliterate. So we're looking for someone who can not only speak and listen, but they need to have a certain level of writing skills and reading skills as well. So with that said, we do have our next guest up here. So let's see who this is. Welcome. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners? I'm James Walker, Spanish teacher at Clinton County High School. James Walker, we have seen you around. Okay, Clinton County High School, and you said Spanish? Yes. Okay, welcome, James. Thank you for coming up here. So here's the first question. I'm going to pose this one to Jackie because she was actually part of this national initiative. Uh, Jackie, can you explain to us, give us an overview, what is the global seal of biliteracy and how are you all envisioning this working? So the global seal of biliteracy is just taking to another level the existing seal of biliteracy, which started uh, through movement in California to recognize proficiency at the intermediate, mid, or advanced low level. Um, a lot of states have already adopted a seal of biliteracy. Kentucky has looked at it, and we're working on that. Uh, Fayette County has been using it for a yes, year now. We have. Uh, we have piloted it at a school in, in Jefferson County. And anyone who wants to do it, uh, any school can adopt uh, the criteria that was set by ACFL. We've put out some, uh, some criteria to look at what the, what the other states are doing, um, how you introduce this seal, how you test for it. Um, what type of certificate you give and who might recognize it. But the global seal has been created through uh, Dave and Sheila Bong at Avant Assessment. Uh, Linda Ignitz is, uh, is running this right now, and there is a board of directors, and we are looking at what types of assessments would be acceptable to show that someone has achieved that level of proficiency. Um, if your school, if your district is already doing this, the global seal is really not needed. The global seal is for anyone who does not have a district or a school that awards the seal 
or if you are a homeschooler, or if um, you come from another country and you're visiting the United States and you would like to receive an American Global Seal of Biliteracy. That's kind of redundant. American Global, I don't know how that works. Um, but if you would like this seal that shows your proficiency of a language, um, you can take the test and we will recognize it. Uh, we just I'm on the committee for deciding which assessments are going to be accepted. And we know that, of course, there are some that are automatic. Um, the Apple test from ACPL, the OPIs, um, the stamp test, the IB and AP, um, all of those will be accepted. So uh, January 1st is when others can begin to take part in this, and you can find more information um, just by Googling Global Seal of Biliteracy. If you have questions, don't forget, because I know I've got a list going through I'm going to ask. But, yeah. I just wanted to mention that Clinton County is the second school in the, in the state of Kentucky to have a seal of biliteracy. Good job. We can do it. You can do it. It's a small school, about 500 in the school. So... It is possible to do. So you all are district wide with it because you have the one school. Yeah, well, it, the high school is the one that has it. Uh -huh. So it's so district wide. See, if you're a single high school, get it at your high school, and your whole district is seal of, uh, has the seal of biliteracy. I have questions for you, Jackie. Okay, so if you are somewhere that has it, we can still offer it to our kids, and they can get double sealed. Right? I would imagine so. If yes. a child wanted it. Um, will there be a record kept or anything like that? For Will there be a database of sorts? I would imagine so. I can't recall having seen that anywhere, so I'll right. take it back to the Board of Directors and we'll okay. make sure. Okay. Um, just all these thoughts are going through my mind. What does the child receive, the student receive or the adult receive? A certificate. Okay. Um, paper or digital. Um, and one thing that I've neglected to mention, and you might want to know too, this is not just for language learners in your world language classes. It's also for ESL students. Yeah. You know, it's to recognize that language capacity that we have in the United States. It's not being validated right now. So anyone who is biliterate. And so that means you have to test that English. And how is that done? We'll let you know which assessments will work on that. Um, and Laura can tell you what they're accepting in Fayette County. Yeah, we use the access scores, which if a student is an ELL student in the state of Kentucky, they have to be assessed. It's state law. So those scores are going to be there for you, and we went with a certain level. I worked with the EL department. Um, I don't want to say, I think it's a 3.5 or 4. The state just changed things. Uh, it might be a 4 is what we went with. But I know a lot of you in the room have ELL or ESL endorsements, right? If you do, raise your hand. That's an impressive amount. So collaborate. They're your co-partner to get this push through. It actually really started to recognize, in California, it started to recognize our ELL population for the skills they have. So sometimes that gets a little left off in, in some states or districts. So thank you, Jackie, for the overview. Uh, so for the rest of you to consider, so since this is here, what might this do for us? So if we have listeners who are at a school or a district or a state where they feel like the seal isn't happening quickly enough, um, how could maybe the global seal of biliteracy be used by those teachers or administrators and so on? Do you see any advantages or is there any disadvantages? Well, there are huge advantages, which gets into your question about advocacy, which I know is coming up. But right. It's hard to tear them apart. 
in a, in a situation where language education and the ability to do multiple languages is always somehow suspect at some level or another. Um, we have students who major in language and go on to amazing and diverse careers. They go on to amazing and diverse careers using their language every day or money languages every day other than their native. And they go on to careers that they don't do that every day. But the doors are open, um, as we've already talked about today, because of the language study. It sets them apart. It gives them advantages in their um, it gives them advantages in their salaries. And you may not choose to major in the language, but having a document that says, I have these abilities that are measurable, and this and understanding from the can-do statements what that means you can do, it's endlessly valuable to show other people who don't do language education that this is an amazing skill that opens doors that all of us need to open if we're going to get ahead professionally now. Well, I see that um, for a lot of high schools, keeping your upper-level class is a challenge. And um, when – oh, we've got questions coming. This is exciting. Keeping your upper-level upper classes are a challenge. So use this global seal, or if you can push the seal of biliteracy for your school or district, use it, and it's kind of a reason, a raison d'etre, to have it. Sometimes, and, and I'm going to admit it, sometimes you can say to your, your administrator or supervisors a thousand times the benefits of world languages. The second they go visit the music teacher, guess what they're hearing? The benefits of music. The second they go in the art room they're hearing the benefits of art. It's all beneficial to students, so we're kind of fighting a battle with our students' time to get them to take our upper-level classes. One and two usually aren't the problem. It's the upper levels. When you get something like the Global Seal, you're able to say, well, in addition, they're going to get the Global Seal. Oh, my God, it's going to look so good at our school. And a principal goes, ding. Things like that, put it in a scenario for them. So we have a couple questions. Uh, we have Sarah Meredith and Ben. They're, okay, one of you is going to read something. Yes, I have a question from the audience. Awesome. Um, this teacher has been tossing in the idea of the seal around to her administrators at school um, and has met a little bit of resistance in the fact that they don't want to actually put some sort of physical seal on the diploma. So what, what are your ideas about the idea of allowing a student to earn a cord to wear at graduation to represent the seal, and how would you then be able to distribute that information out to where it needs to go? That's what a lot do. There's, if you go on the Seal of Biliteracy website, you'll see uh, ribbons and cords. I think you can even buy them from there. Um, Fayette County, we identified earth blue and earth green, uh, like a double color cord if a school wanted to do a cord and when I get the question I'm always like is blue and green earth colors yeah that's awesome students pay for it no cost to the school any other thoughts uh, we're putting it on transcripts okay. okay a notation goes on the transcript mm -hmm. okay yeah any creative way you can recognize there's nothing official that has to be done we were blessed to be able to get um, a gold seal that does go on diplomas. I told him I would do it myself. And um, one of our high schools, she, the registrar explained she wears white gloves when she touches the diplomas and no one else touches them. 
except for the principal. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. I, you know, I just shove them in my bag and, you know, oh, sorry, it's a little, you know, how we are. Um, so kind of ask, but go with a different route. Resistance, go a different way. Next question. Yes, this one comes from Anna Jaramis from Marie College. And she's wondering whether the SEAL will be available for colleges as well. It's available for anyone. Uh, you don't have to be a student even. Um, so yeah, every level of education and anyone who wants to document their their level of proficiency can receive that seal. Okay, so the global seal, any grade level. All right, so we're good on the questions? Okay, um, with that said, we're gonna move on to our next topic. So I wanna thank you, Mr. James, for joining us. Thank you so much. All right, so our next topic, thus we need to fill our chair. Uh, this is kind of a broad topic, and the subject is going to be advocacy. So is there anybody in the crowd who wants to just give their two cents worth on being an advocate for world languages? So Ben and uh, Sarah are going to hunt down who that might be. So with that said, we're moving on into advocacy. Ah, we've got somebody coming up. Oh, we have a voluntold one. I love it. And you, she was volunteering somebody else. Okay, love that. Um, so we do have a second year teacher, which is awesome to get a different voice. She's getting settled. Hi, can you introduce yourself and tell us who you are, what you do, and where you are? Um, my name is Sydney Mo. I teach French at Frederick Douglass High School in Lexington, Kentucky. Vive le français. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So advocacy. We have three questions we're going to discuss on this. First off, again, your opinion. What is the most pressing issue in your mind with regard to world languages right now at this moment? either at state or national level? Mm. The most pressing issue. There's, oh, there's so many to choose from. Yeah, I know there are. <laughs> choose one. Choose one. And we're going to be very, we're not going to get political too much. Well, you can't help but get political, but you don't have to name names. Okay, fine. There's our parameters right there. Um, the anti-language sentiment that we see across the nation, I find perplexing, and uh, I think it's broader. I think it's anti-humanities generally. It's anti-history. It's anti-English language. It's anti-world languages. But I think world language somehow is the poster child. Okay. All right. So anti-world languages. Uh, for me and where I'm at, it's the, the so what for French language. We uh, don't live anywhere close to um, a French-speaking country, so they think. I mean, the Caribbean is not that far away. Um, but they don't they don't see the purpose in your immediate community. So, Good one. I'm going to say, too, in terms of professional development, I, that's what I'm hearing you say also feeds into that. Um, self-selected professional development for world language teachers is always my big push because it's not the same to put a bunch you know to put our department of 13 in pre-planning or as i call it pre-meeting because it's just we met the whole time and we're meeting with chemistry teachers and geometry and obviously working cross collaboratively is a good thing but that's not what it was it's those general meetings that are not subject specific 
when you have state organizations giving killer conferences and doing podcasts and doing all these amazing things. I'm lucky to live in a state that also has a very active association, but teachers can't afford to go to conferences because the money is either spent elsewhere buying textbooks that we don't use, like we say we use it, but we don't. I've never seen it. Um, Probably edit that out. Um, No, but I mean, truly, if we could funnel the money to other places and get people in your own department going to things, and I think sometimes that sweetens up the pot by saying, we can pay. Like, we can, we'll pay for the hotel room. Let's all room together. It sounds really simple, but truly, like, to me, self-selected professional development for world language teachers, if you could count that towards your 20 hours or your 10 hours, not skip the other stuff, but I think that starts that wheel of advocacy for yourself. And then you go, hey, by the way, there's this seal, because I went to a thing, and I learned about it there. And that, just to me, everybody wins, and it's really empowering. I think for me, uh, probably the biggest pressing issue is to get world languages recognized as one of the core. So we're just as important. We say that all the time. I'm saying thumbs up. So we should, it should be five core. And I always think of world languages as, um, have you seen 16 Candles? And uh, he explains himself as king of the nerds or something. And he's like standing against the wall. He's like, yeah, like king of the nerds. We're like king of the exploratory or king of the electives. Some people are shaking their head going, no. Some are saying yes. (laughs) You know, usually we're well respected. Uh, Sometimes you got to argue with band because band, you know, in high school they march. They're big. But, you know, it's like we can battle it out. So it's cool to be king of the electives, but I want to be part of the court. So to me, that's one of the biggest issues. So we have a question, Ben. Actually, we have two questions that are similar, so I'm just going to add them together. And that's about um, uh, for, start, for pushing towards world languages in the elementary school. So it's about advocating for that level. Oh. Yeah, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. Somebody held theirs the wrong way, sorry. <laughs> I think you meant it up. Okay, so with that said, we're just world language educators. I say just, we know we're powerful. We are just world language educators. So what can we do? What can Sydney do to make people realize French isn't, you know, what can we do to make Everyone realize world languages is important to make change, to advocate for world languages, whether it be at your school, your community district, state, or national level. So what are your thoughts on a way a teacher can actually advocate? Um, I think the Lead with Languages campaign provides a lot of resources for that. If you go on the ACL website, you can find all kinds of things that will be helpful for you. But I think taking an introspective look and, and thinking of us as a community of language professionals that supports everything to do with language, meaning that it's, it's no longer, I used to see this, you know, there are so many Spanish teachers, well, what am I doing? It's no longer that, you know, antagonism against languages. I don't see that anymore. Yeah. And looking at elementary versus middle and high, you know, supporting the idea of more elementary education that actually it could, should be, instead of more in high school, it should be more in elementary and filtering up with a more profound focus as you get to the high in high school. But that way, if we as high school teachers um, or college professors support elementary language, I think we can get it more into our curriculum and get people to take note of it. But again, best instruction, look at your student outcomes. 
if your student outcomes are good, if your students are using the language, showcase them. That's the way to advocate. Tweet it out. Tweet out videos, pictures, comments. Let people know any way you can what your kids are doing. I see things all the time at the district that promote what students in social studies or math or ELA are doing. But it's rare that the language teachers promote themselves and what their kids are doing. And I think we need to do more of that. I think you're right, Chucky. When I say that I think there's this you know, national anti-language thing going on, I don't mean that they don't want teachers of it and they don't say, yes, we should be teaching language. But it's not in the core. It hasn't been in the core. It needs to be in the core. This is an essential skill. And not only that, you have to start early. If you do not start yeah. early, you're not going to be able to make the degree of progress that we want. So we need it in more elementary schools, and we need to be out there all the time. My poor colleagues are exhausted most of the time because I'm like, we got to go to this to show what languages is doing. you got to go. And yeah. they're like, oh, again? <laughs> but if you're not there, yes, you lose half the battle. Absolutely. Well, I think it's just tooting your own horn. You know, I mean, a little bit. I think sometimes I, you know, you go, well, I don't want to say, no, if something amazing is happening, take a picture of it. Again, highlight reel. Take yeah. a picture of it. Tweet it out. I share so much stuff on social media, and you get great questions, or you participate in Lang Chat, and it's just kind of, it's talking about what you're doing, which ends up, for me, being a positive, reflective experience. Because I'm like, hey, look, that was a terrible day. There was one moment, we captured one moment that was great, you know, we have a picture to prove it. And I think what that ends up, for me, trickling down into is then kids say, it's, it comes back to kids. Kids say, where are you going? Why are you going to Kentucky? What are you, are you going to nerd out all weekend? Yes. Yes, I am. Like, problem? Um, and I put my little emoji in my car on the sub plans and was like, there you go. That's what I'm doing. Um, because I think once you start talking about those things, that becomes a dialogue point. And I've had other teachers say, you guys do a lot. Mm-hmm. You guys go to a lot of conferences. Yep. My department's just really participatory because we put that as a priority. And once you start talking about it, people take notice, which is pretty cool. And work more with the community. Yeah. The more you get into your community agencies and, and businesses, find ways to connect with them. They're going to be talking about you. And they're the ones that influence boards of education. So the more you can get them, them involved in what you're doing and showcase what your kids are doing through those agencies or businesses, the better it is for us. And learn your community. Because to fight this battle, French isn't useful. Do you know how many French speakers have arrived in Lexington, Kentucky <laughs> a lot. in the last two years? A lot more mm-hmm. than any other language. It's remarkable. At least as a second language. And how much economy relies on French. Companies that are foreign investing or that are providing jobs. And all that information is available. I know Alfonso from the state sends that out all the time. But you can also look on the uh, Think Kentucky website to find the economic value of the language you're teaching in the countries that do business with us. We're going to hop to Sarah. She's got a question from the crowd. And the question really goes along with what you all are talking about right now. So there's a big push in Kentucky right now to move the career and technical pathways along as a huge part of our curriculum. And I see a lot of smiles from the panel because I know there's a teacher up there who teaches at a career at an academy style school. So the career pathways were designed without world languages represented. What can we do to push the representation of world languages into those career pathways? How can we revise those and how can we fight that battle? Well, I know for me, and then probably Sydney's going to say some thoughts. Um, 
if someone is doing a career, they're going to communicate and they probably need to communicate in more than one language. So we should be a part of every career focus. And the one thing um, I know uh, sometimes when I talk with principals, they're like, well, Spanish would be good with this. And I'm like, good. But then I also point out this language might be good as well. Uh, Arabic might be good for this. You're right. But also consider this. So do, you know, if that connection is being made, it's good. It's step one. But any language is good for any career. So we just need to be a natural part of that. That means collaborating with those teachers, collaborating with the leads, saying, what can I do? Integrating that into your curriculum and advertising you're doing it. Hey, we just did a unit on this focus. Um, and let it be known what you're doing. What you're doing. Don't keep it a secret. Let your principal know. Let your lead know. Advertise, advertise, advertise. Um, I think for me, when I got my um, first teaching job ever at a brand new high school, um, that I found out it was an academy school, um, I was really excited because it seems like there was a lot of um, kind of built-in opportunity to advocate for languages. Um, each academy, if you aren't familiar, is kind of like a, a college, a university, and then within that they choose a pathway, which is akin to a major. And so it became kind of easy in my mind to see in the future as we grow, because we still have a very low number of students, so we have a lower number of um, for our more modern language teachers. Um, but, you know, if we have the health sciences academy in the um, EMC pathway, then we're working on medical terminology in multiple languages. So I think that that's a great opportunity. And with teaching, we have the ability to look at different types of um, the way the different the way the, dif the different culture structure education and whatnot. So that was really, um, it seems like the, as we grow, there'll be an easy opportunity to build in language into the curriculum. So that will also help with the problem with advocacy that I presently face as we grow. Okay, so now more than ever before, we need to unite and express our voice. We need to take a stand to not accept monolingualism as an expectation for our graduating students. We need to voice, preach it. We need to voice our concerns and push for change. With that said, uh, we have board members who are passing out little cards, all different colors, color doesn't matter. Meredith, Meredith is holding one up. You've got pens at your table if you don't have one on you. We are asking everybody in this room to think one little thing you can do. 200 people. What one little thing can you do, you pledge to do, to advocate for world languages? It might be at your own school. It might be at home at nights when you have the free time that we don't have as educators. It might be in your community. It might be state. It might be nationally. We're asking you to write down a thought on how you're going to advocate. If you want to sign your name, great. If you don't, fine. When you leave in the back of the room, Sarah will be back there. And if you can see, there is a board. There's a board in the back of the room on an easel. And we have tacks. And we're going to tack all of your pledges. And we've got a second one that we're going to put up. And if you get a chance... Later, this will be located. Um, ben, where are we locating this? this? Okay, by the registration desk. We're going to move the boards there. If you can, get a selfie. Push it out. Hey, look at all these pledges that our Kentucky teachers are saying we're going to do. And show that we care. Tag people that you think might be good to see that we are a united voice. And, and kind of get the word out there. So we are asking, if you don't mind, 
think of a pledge, write it down. You've got the whole conference to get it done, but if you can do it on your way out as like an exit ticket, we would love that. So this wraps up our podcast at the opening of the KWLA's 2018 conference. I wish to thank our guests, Jean-Marie Rouillet-Willoughby, Jackie Van Houten, Meredith White, and our special guests that came up. And thank you, Sydney. Say goodbye to you. Um, All of the guests who came up from the audience. Uh, we like to thank KWLA, the board, for letting us have this opportunity to do a live recording uh, here at the conference. And as always, we thank you, Kay, because it's a lot of work to edit, put things together, and get this out um, on the web. These podcasts are located at KWLA and UK's website. We're working on trying to get it on iTunes and so on, but um, sometimes things are smarter than us, but we will get there. So this is Laura Roche-Youngworth for Language Talk KWLA saying au revoir and happy teaching.